Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. A man happened to be walking along the streets of a city when all of a sudden an armed robber approached him and ordered, your money or your life. There was a long pause and the man did nothing. He just stood there. The thief impatiently asked, well, the man responded, don't rush me, I'm thinking about it. You know, a lot of times when it comes to life and it comes to money and it comes to church, we are in certain particular places. It's, it's hard to kind of navigate that. But the truth be told is money plays a significant role in our lives. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking right now. Man, I haven't been to church in a while. And the first time I'm here, we're talking about money. Well, like, let me just stop us real quick. The past eight weeks, we haven't been talking about money, but today we're going to look at a series or look at our, our story, a parable where money is very essential. Now, what kind of messes it up for pastors like me, some pastors down the street, local pastors all, all around is you know, late night evangelists get on TV and you can order your doomsday kit to last you the next 30 days. And let me just pause you right there. If you're doing that, please come talk to me in the lobby. Or maybe it's some of those moments that you watch on the news and when you see a pastor literally get interrupted and millions of dollars stolen of jewelry off him in the middle of the service, it can be alarming, right? It's kind of weird how money has been associated in the church. It's unfortunate some of the ways pastors, Christians, leaders of the church have misused, misrepresented, and, and put money in certain ways that isn't really that great and kind of causes us to really question why give to the church. Today, we're going to be talking about money, so take a deep breath. Everybody right now say, <gasps> there we go. I didn't say breathe out. I just said take a deep breath. <laughs> money, but I, I want to assure you this. When we talk about money, money is a spiritual topic. Let's put it into kind of context. Is The Bible talks about 500 times there's verses attributed to prayer, less than 500 times verses are attributed to faith. Over 2,000 verses are attributed to money, wealth, and possessions. So yes, money is a spiritual topic, and we're going to be talking about that today when we look at our story as we continue our series, Down to Earth. And before we go any further, I just want to say this. It's been my experience. Those who live a lifestyle of generosity have no problem talking about money, but there are those who maybe are, are questioning a lifestyle of generosity. And my hope for you is that wherever you're at in the spectrum of generosity in your life, that God moves in your heart in a way that he hasn't before. So we're going to be diving in. Join me, Luke chapter 16. 
verses 1 through 9. I titled this morning's message, The Delight of Spending Someone Else's Money. It's great when you get to spend somebody else's money, right? So we pick up this story, we pick up this narrative where Jesus is teaching to the self-righteous religious elite and a big crowd, and he just comes off the heels of teaching about three parables, the lost coin, the prodigal son, and, and, and uh, uh, the lost sheep. And then he switches gears, and he brings to very close attention his disciples about this very unique story we find in the text. Verse 1, Jesus told his this story to his disciples, a parable. This is a riddle that illustrates. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came in that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So we see that there's this act of uh, just incompetence taking place. Verse 2, so the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. So the day's coming, the moment's coming, this manager's going to lose his job. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss is going to fire me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. Oh, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am tired, or fired, excuse me. Verse five, so he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe, I owe 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. So it was a 50% cut. So about three years worth of money now gets cut in about a year and a half. How many of you would like to say, hey, I want my mortgage cut in half, right? Car payment cut in half. That sounds like a deal. Whoever hooks me up with that, let's talk about it. You'll be my friend for my lifetime. That's what's taking place. Verse 7, and how much do you owe my employer? Another man, he asked. The next man, I owe a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. So that's a 20% knock off the price. The rich man had admired the dishonest rascal. I like that terminology right there. This dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Meaning that they're cunning, they have good judgment, they have necessary means to move through this really interesting world we live in. Verse 9, here's the lesson. Jesus sums it up like this. He says, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. An eternal home. Jesus is essentially saying that whenever we have resources, what can we do to not think temporal, but to think in a light, in a perspective of eternity? So I want to talk to you about three ways where we can find delight in spending someone else's money. The first one is this. We have to realize we're managers and not 
owners. We're managers and not owners. The greatest hang-up I see when it comes to being a follower of Jesus and this idea of money or giving or anything along those lines is this. We really want control when a life-serving Jesus is releasing that control. Same with our pocketbook, same with our finances, same with each and every area of our life. When there's moments where we want to hold on to life, we want to white-knuckle grip it, we don't want to let it go, that's oftentimes when Jesus is moving it in a way we don't see comes any kind of disrupts, flips everything upside down. Because you and I both have to come to this understanding, we're not in control. There's nothing we control. We might think we can control some things, but we know ultimately we don't. We have to realize the starting place for us is we're managers of what God has given us. There is this man by the name of Joe. He had a problem, so he took it to his pastor. Pastor, I'm I'm having trouble tithing these days, he confessed. What seems to be the hang-up, his pastor asked. Well, back when I made $50 a week, I tithed $5 and and that was pretty easy. And when I made $500 a week, I tithed $50, which was okay. But now I make $5,000 a week. I'm having a hard time. A $500 tithe a week, that's a lot of money, pastor. So will you pray for me, the man says. Pastor responds, sure, I'll pray for you. Let's pray. Father, please reduce Joe's income back to $500 a week so that he can honor you with his tithe. We're tithing church. We believe simply this, that as a follower of Jesus, that we give 10% of our income first right off the top to the local church. Some of us in this place, that's hard. You think to yourself, I don't have the bills. I have the bills, I have hardship. How am I gonna make this? Like my kids are in tuition, they have tuition. We barely can find a job that's suitable. The, The inflation, the gasoline, man, even the chicken prices have gone up. How am I going to make ends meet? And we wrestle with this time and time again. See, when it comes to this idea and understanding of tithing, really it's, it's the starting point for a life of generosity. We see very early on in the very first church in the book of Acts in chapter 4, where they came together as a collective and they gave their possessions to benefit the church. See, when we tithe, what we're doing is supporting the local church and the local mission of the church. You might be thinking to yourself, or maybe you're assuming, how do we keep the lights on? How do we have these beautiful facilities? How do we have this beautiful landscape and grounds? How are we able to to minister to our next door neighbor at Bayshore Elementary or, or give things away to those in need? How do we do these things, it's because of tithe. It's because there are those in this place that sacrificially give, that say, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. But I believe in the mission of the local church. 
according to Subsplash, uh, this software church group, they came and they estimated, and it's kind of been backed up with different stats, that 10 to 25% of a church's congregation tithes, makes it a commitment to support the ministry. Kind of fascinating when you think only 10 to 25% of people in this room watching online, churches down the street, are those who contribute. Now, I'm not here to make you feel bad and do any of that. In fact, I can kind of hear the silence of the room. But I say this because I, th- I fundamentally believe this. We have to challenge ourselves. We have to think to ourselves, are we investing? Are we doing what God has called us to do? Am I the person that's so white-knuckled gripped on what is mine, or am I saying, hey, Jesus, I'm going to give it all to you? What's fascinating, when you look at these stats a little more, that out of that 10 to 25% who give, they give above the tithe. It's fascinating how giving and how that works. See, whenever there is generosity taking place, you'll often find yourself in a fight for battle of control. We have to be thinking to ourselves, asking ourselves, am I the owner or am I the manager? Look at the very first verse. It says, Luke 16, 1. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. You and I are here in this place to be managers with what, who, and how God has entrusted us. Early on in Moses' leadership, he comes to this call of remembrance in Deuteronomy with his, the Israelite nation, the people of God back in the Old Testament. And in chapter 8, we see this in verse 17. This is his charge for them to remember. He says this, Beware, least of you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Look, for us to make smart, powerful, discerning judgment, it doesn't rest on our shoulders, but it comes from the principle of, of giving, the principle of generosity. My uh, father, a while back, uh, I love it. I'm, I'm the baby of the family, so no matter what happens, the older I get, I still have like some flashbacks and kickback to being the baby. And they have this gift card drawer. And I see this old beat up gift card. I'm like, man, it's been sitting there. Every time I come in, I kind of pull this gift card drawer open. And I'm like, what's mom and dad got, right? And I see this old one, I'm like, Dad, this has been here for a few years. You really haven't touched it. He's like, yeah, go give it a shot. So I'm like, all right, it's a visa. Let's go, let's go check this out. Walking through the store, I'm like, hey, I'll try this, I'll try that, we'll grab some of this, and go up to the cashier register, and I'm like, yeah, let's see if this works. This could be real awkward. I might just turn and walk out, because you know, when you go shopping at Target, you don't really buy a lot of things you need. You buy a lot of things you want. And so I give this car, and lady's like, yep, it's good. You have a few hundred bucks on it. And I'm like, whoo, yes. It was easy being the manager of that. 
Maybe that wasn't the best decision to spend that kind of money on some of the items I bought, but that wasn't hard. See, when we come to this understanding that we manage what God gives us, it's not hard to make some of the decisions that we need to make. It becomes hard whenever we say, no, I'm owning my life. I'm in control. I'm going to do it my way. That's when it becomes challenging. So I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at in your life of generosity, remember and realize you and I are each managers. Ultimately, God is the owner. And that leads us to this. Let's invest in kingdom purposes. Invest in kingdom purposes. Look, you see this twist in the scripture. This manager, this shrewd individual. When I first read this, and I remember when you come through the Bible and and you're looking at this, you're like, this guy was dishonest. He was a cheat. He was a liar. You would think Jesus would come in and say, I'm going to hammer this guy down. But you know what? He's commended. The rich man admired the dishonest rascal. He admired him because he was thinking of kingdom purposes. He used his current situation to better his future one. Are we as Christians, as followers, or maybe you're new in this place and you're learning what it means to follow Jesus, are you using your current situation right now to think long-term, big picture, eternal, not temporal? And that's always very challenging for us at moments because things and problems can, can be very close to us. It can be challenging to say, you know what, I need to take a step back and evaluate the landscape. God, where do you want me to be? What process do you want me to go through? How do you want me to navigate that? Time and time again, it's this understanding that we're called to invest in kingdom purposes. We see in Luke 16, 11, later on, Jesus says this, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You know, whenever you sit down with a financial planner, they ask you this one question. What's your end goal? Can you imagine sitting down with Jesus? I'm committed to you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I pursue you, Jesus. You're the leader of my life, Jesus. And Jesus comes over and he asks us, what's your end goal? Puts everything in perspective. Makes you think, what is my end goal? What are you calling us to do? What are you asking for us to do? What is my end goal? Collectively, The Christian church globally gives 2.5% to charitable causes, including the local church. Now, we're in hard times. You know, it's unique times. But you might be thinking, well, I might not have the means. I might not be there to support myself. You don't really know what is taking place, Pastor Blake. But some things I think we have to put in front of us first that this is gonna be the greatest transfer of wealth that we see between generations. 
The second is this. This is the wealthiest America has ever been. We're like, <laughs> you don't know my, pa- my pocketbook. And, and, and I don't, but some of the stats that march through are kind of polarizing when it comes to this area. And then number three is this. Did you know that after the Great Reset, or after the Great Depression, that Christians on average gave 3.5% compared to now 2.5%. Now, let's frame this up in the context. According to some sociologists, they say this, imagine if Christian giving rose to 10%, an essential tithe. That would be approximately $170 billion in addition. They say that 25 billion would eliminate global hunger, starvation, and preventable diseases. 12 billion would eliminate illiteracy. 15 billion would eliminate water sanitation issue. 1 billion, say, would fund the Great Commission, what you and I are called to do, and there would be an excess of some hundred billions of dollars. See, church, I'm not trying to say we need to, to, to give. I'm not trying to say that we need to evaluate right now and, and just throw money out the, out the door. What I'm saying is this. Jesus has called us to live a life of generosity, that what we have isn't necessarily ours, but his. That you and I have a responsibility to have a kingdom perspective versus a temporal perspective. See, I, I sat in this conference one time, and I heard it best explained this way. We want the church to get the credit. We want Jesus to get the credit. We want no matter what takes place, that someone can experience hope because of our sacrificial giving as a a unit and as an entity and as a church. Why do we do what we do? Because of Jesus. The first hospital started in the world were by Christians. The first schools started in the world were by Christians. Shelters started by Christians. Orphanage started by Christians. Who gets the credit? God's church. The bride of Christ. It's fascinating how that works. There's been moments where I've struggled. My wife and I, we lost a job at a time. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I don't know how I'm going to make it. It kept coming back to this. Am I investing in kingdom principles? See, rather than this man being condemned by Jesus, rather than this man not being, quote unquote, honest, he's applauded because he uses his savvy to seek and help people meet Jesus and experience salvation. See, whenever the gospel moves, lives are changed. Whenever the church commits, lives are changed. See, Jesus' church gets the credit when we invest in kingdom purposes. And number three for us this morning is this. Use available resources to be generous now use available resources to be generous now. If you've been with us for some time, my wife and I, we have this ongoing back and forth 
conversation about the key cup that sits right next to our front door. Now we have a key cup basket with a lid. The other day I was, uh, I leave my wallet there. I, I grabbed it the other day and I was out and about and I look at my wallet and I'm missing some money from my wallet. I'm asking myself, where did this money go? Finally, I call my wife and I say, hey, did you grab my wallet, the money that was in my wallet? She goes, yeah. I said, well, were you going to fill me in? <laughs> and her response is, hey, I'm buying this. I'm taking this person to lunch. I'm doing this. I need some cash. And you know what my response was? That's cool. Like in my household, one is one and we're fine with that. I mean, was I short some dollars? Yeah, but it's my wife. She does a lot around the house. But I was fine with it. See, she saw the wallet laying there. She needed some cash. She grabbed it really quick and then she went off on her way. She used the available resource, even though I didn't necessarily agree with how she used it. Same way this shrewd manager used the available resource to win favor to, to think about the future in his life. See, a lot of times we let self-talk start coming in. You notice in verse 3 it says, what does he do? I'm, I'm going to get fired. I, I don't have the strength to dig ditches and he's too proud to beg. So what is he going to do? He moves with a sense of of urgency. He steps forward in the now and doesn't wait. Luke 16, 6 through 7 says this, he said a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down and quickly write 50, 50% 50 cut. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said a hundred measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write 80 quickly sense of urgency it's important to note that waiting longer isn't necessarily going to change our heart waiting longer isn't going to make things easier in luke 16 10 we see if you are faithful in the little things you'll be faithful in large ones but if you are dishonest in little things you won't be honest with greater responsibilities it ultimately comes when it comes to this generosity and understanding generosity. It's never about how much money we have. It's about how much God has our heart. See, in Luke 16, 9, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to eternal home. the delight of spending someone else's money. Ultimately, when it comes to temporal things, it's gonna be very quick, this world. Some of us, we've experienced life change really rapidly. You look back in the years and you're like, man, it's gone quick. So I'm always reminded of this. You know, there's people I've brushed shoulders with that I am get involved with friends. We love meeting strangers. 
engaging and talking with missionaries. We support over 50 some missionaries. We've got Brother Terry in the house over here, Debbie, some of our Thailand missionaries, and he was with us last Mission Sunday. And we support people like the Waysners who are on the field, raising money, doing what it takes to see lives ultimately changed. I mean, I had the privilege of going and, and, and seeing this orphanage that was built from ground up, but ultimately knowing this, that there was children, there was people whose lives in eternity was drastically changed. See, in our everyday community, in our everyday work, in our everyday moments, in lifestyles, neighbors, coworkers, all of it, there are people who are dying and not knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where they're in their temporal, but they're missing out on the greatest eternity that they could possibly have. Church, the question we gotta ask ourselves is, what are we doing about it? Are we thinking long-term, big picture? Are we saying, you know what, I'm comfortable with where I am at right now? I know through some of the moments that I've gone through, some of the hard times I've gone through, it's easier to say, Jesus, I'm just giving you everything because right now, it is really hard. There's this lady in scripture, her name's Mary in John chapter 12. You're probably familiar with the passage, she takes this uh, perfume and, and pours it in her hair and cleans Jesus' feet, spends about, it's about a, a year worth of wages, perfume, it's very expensive. And this man by the name of Judas condemns her and says, why are you doing that? We should take this money and we should go do something else with it. In the meantime, Judas is skimming off the top from the disciples' pot. And what's very unique, Jesus says this in response, and we hear this in Matthew 26, 10. When he sees this all taking place, he says, but Jesus aware of this replied, why criticize this, this woman for doing such a good thing for me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Ultimately, her sacrificial giving changed lives, made a statement, is going to be remembered for generation and time and time again. Church, we're on mission here to reach Southwest Florida, people who are far from God, into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. I'm for that. I'm sold out. I know our leadership's for that. We have you that are for that because we are here for a very short amount of time. What are we going to do about it, church? Let's enjoy spending his money and do what he's called us to do and change lives for the gospel. Change someone's eternity. So I know today's the money talk. Next week it's team day. It's going to be a fun time. But I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Where are you at when it comes to this spectrum of generosity? Our Lord gave so much. Let's give to Him. And we're going to close with this. We're going to pray. and I'm going to pray for two groups of people. 
Group one is those who want to start a relationship with Jesus. Say, I, I need something new. I need to figure out life. I need hope because things seem hopeless. We believe Jesus Christ is the answer to that. We believe he changes lives. He molds us and he shapes us in a radical way. We make him the Lord and leader of our life. Our eternity isn't temporal. It becomes a different kingdom-minded purpose. And then there's also those in here who are wrestling with generosity because it can be challenging to take that step of faith. I want to encourage you. Just be praying about it. Let God work in your life. Let him get the credit for the goodness that we're going to see transform this community. So if you'll bow your heads with me. God, we give you this time. We praise you and we worship you right now. Call in your name. As we talk about resources and wealth and finances, Lord, I pray right now for those individuals. May you work on their hearts and may you lead them to give whatever you've called them to give. May you guide them in their commitment as we are encouraged today to think eternity perspective, to invest in kingdom purposes, to realize that it's not ours, but it's yours. And ultimately, may we act now and not wait. And God, we also pray for those who are making a decision to follow you, who have come seeking hope, who have come seeking clarity. Lord, I pray that you just intervene in their life, move in their life, renew their minds, Lord, transform who they are, and may they take a step in a real encounter of what it means to follow you. Be with us today. Lead us today. Guide us today. And in your great and holy name, we all say, Amen. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.